Welcome to the GI Psychiatrist Podcast, a podcast affiliated with GI Psychiatry, a new mental health startup working toward increasing the education, awareness, and care of mental health in patients dealing with chronic gastrointestinal issues. Now here is your host, Dr. Claire Brandon. Hey everyone, this is Dr. Claire Brandon. Just a reminder, this podcast is strictly for education and information. I'm not providing medical advice. If you or someone you know is struggling with mental health, please reach out to your doctor or emergency services in your area. Listening to my podcast does not result in a patient-doctor relationship. I practice in New York City and don't always know the resources in every part of the country, unfortunately. All content on this podcast is my own opinion and doesn't represent that of anyone else or any other organization. I'll be posting about upcoming episodes on the podcast Instagram, The GI Psychiatrist. If you have a question or idea for this or upcoming episodes, please let us know by direct messaging The GI Psychiatrist or on our website, www.gipsychiatry.com, and we'll do our best to incorporate any questions or suggestions. This episode discusses alcohol and issues with alcohol and may only be suitable for people 21 and older. On today's episode, we'll be discussing dry January. What is dry January? Well, it tends to be a more recent phenomenon that's been occurring in the last few Januaries. In January, we start to think about a new, fresh year and consider giving ourselves a little detox. Dry January, in this case, particularly refers to staying away from alcohol. Maybe this January 2021, you've decided to partake in dry January. But do you know why? Be mindful this dry January and consider some of these ideas and tips as a longer-term benefit to your GI system. Our first stop is alcohol and the GI tract. Alcohol can impact much of our GI system, from our mouth to intestines and everything in between. The liver is part of our GI system, though it's often thought of separately because it's not in the direct line of how we learn that food makes its way through our system. Alcohol starts being metabolized in your mouth, turning into chemicals that can cause irritation to the mucous membranes of the mouth. This continues through the esophagus and stomach, Think acid reflux and ulcerations after chronic irritation, and then to the intestines. In the intestines, alcohol acts as an irritant, which can result in a disruption of the intestinal membranes. Check out the podcast from last week on leaky gut. The liver is a large organ off to the right side of our GI tract, which is considered the major filtration system for our blood. We need our liver to live. And unlike things like dialysis, which has been created to help replicate our kidneys, there's no such way to mimic the liver. Taking care of your liver is incredibly important and necessary. So what does the liver do? Well, in simple terms, the liver is our body's filtration system. It's an incredibly important and complex network of blood vessels and tissue that help pull toxins out of the blood and metabolize other things like medications. When it comes to alcohol, your liver can break this down in multiple ways, 
but each way results in the end product of a chemical called acetylaldehyde. The cells in your body see acetylaldehyde as poison, especially in excess or over a long period of time. Your liver is pretty amazing because it can repair itself to a certain point, but once it's damaged to a certain level, it can't function properly. Your liver is amazing in that it can repair itself to a certain point, but once it's damaged to a level that it can't function properly, we're in trouble. This could result in you being very ill and eventually requiring a liver transplant, which is incredibly complicated and an entire subject in itself. Often people think that liver damage happens over a very long period of time and that it's so far off they don't have to worry about it. But actually, younger and younger people are starting to show more signs of liver damage earlier in life because of binge drinking being considered not that big of a deal. Acutely, if you've had too much alcohol, your liver can actually shut down, and it may or may not be able to recover. If you went to a hospital in this state, there are some medications that can be given to help decrease the strain on your liver, but it's not always foolproof. And chronically, over time, your liver can have seen so much inflammation from alcohol and damage from acetylaldehyde that it scars. This scarring is called cirrhosis. Over time, the liver's inability to process products of metabolism results in a buildup of toxins in our body. This can include ammonia, which over time results in our brains feeling clouded, depressed, having memory issues, and not being ourselves. One of the questions I get often is whether or not patients can drink while they're taking medication. There are a few medications that are an absolute no-no for drinking because they create a nasty reaction and can make you feel very sick acutely. Before starting on these particular medications, a doctor and likely your local pharmacist would let you know. But what about medications that aren't as cut and dry? As a doctor, the party line is to suggest that you not have any alcohol and also not have any alcohol while taking medication. While this is ideal, it likely isn't realistic, and it turns a blind eye to patients who are going to be having some amount of alcohol. Any medication that is metabolized by the liver can result in a double impact on your liver if you're drinking as well. The strain may or may not be damaging, but likely moderate use on a non-regular basis could be tolerable depending on the person. If you're taking psychiatric medications, or any other medications, You should definitely have this discussion with your doctor and not feel worried about asking the question. Some psychiatric medications can make you feel like you've had more alcohol than you actually have. It's important to know that information up front. So let's get to some action steps and tips to successfully cut back on alcohol. During dry January, you might be not drinking at all, but it would be most beneficial if you were able to cut back going forward too. Understanding the reasons why you drink alcohol can make a big impact on cutting back. Often, drinking alcohol is so pervasive in society that no one questions the ideas behind why they drink. You don't have to meet criteria for having an issue with alcohol to start cutting back, especially if you're serious about your gut and brain health. One reason you might be drinking 
that you should think about is whether or not you're struggling with some level of social anxiety. Patients often tell me that they feel quite anxious in social situations, especially if it's not just with their very close friends. This could come up at a gathering, but these days with COVID, it could be more likely that your social pressures are coming from a Zoom happy hour or a date, virtual or in-person. Although it might be uncomfortable, testing out being in a social setting without alcohol can help you monitor how you're feeling. If you find yourself feeling anxious or not feeling like what you think the best version of you is, it might help to work on the anxiety that's coming up rather than masking it with alcohol. Another reason people often drink is peer pressure. Most people have been in the situation where their friends or family are insisting on celebrating with a glass of wine or partaking in a gathering where alcohol is a primary focus. People often get into these settings telling themselves, I'm not going to drink tonight for any number of reasons. Maybe you have an early work meeting, you're wanting to keep on your fitness goals, your sleep quality has been suffering, and anything else you can think of. But even with those goals in mind, peer pressure can be overwhelming and it might be hard to not drink just to get people off your back. If this is the case for you, consider how a conversation might go including the other person taking a jab at you or bothering you about not drinking? How can you state your resolve? If you know the why for your goals, it will be easier to stand up to peer pressure. Another major reason people drink is the idea of being rewarded. Often patients feel that they need a reward or a wind down at the end of a hard day. It's easy to find in pop culture that drinking is a way to relax or blow off steam. But having one or a few drinks, as we've discussed, might be the opposite of your health goals. Ask yourself what else could you do to wind down? Meditation, a bath, cooking a nice meal, or doing your favorite yoga class? There are endless options if you put your mind to the fact that you're committed to a healthy reward for your body that promotes gut and brain health. Finally, there's a sensation that it feels natural to have a drink in your hand. Drinking for the sake of drinking because it feels natural and is built into the culture is pretty common. If you feel uncomfortable without a drink in your hand, consider replacing it with a seltzer and lime or a mocktail. Check out the Instagram on Thursday for my absolute favorite mocktail. If you or someone you know is struggling with alcohol use, a great resource is the Substance Use and Mental Health Services Administration, or SAMHSA. They have a 24-7 help and referral line at 1-800-622-4357. You don't have to struggle with alcohol issues alone. Thanks so much for taking this journey with me. If you like what you hear, let us know. Please send messages of your thoughts and ideas and things you'd like to see on future episodes to the GI Psychiatrist on Instagram or at www.gipsychiatry.com. I'm looking forward to talking more with you about healing, health, and taking your brain gut knowledge to the next level here on the GI Psychiatrist.